here is singer-songwriter, broadcaster, audio-video artist, entertainment agent, and your host for the Dharmic Evolution. It's the master storyteller himself, James Kevin O'Connor. Labor Day with 2020 Vision. A pandemic lesson. That's what's coming up in a couple of days, folks. Labor Day. And it's celebrated on... um, on uh, September 6th this year. And um, it's not celebrated the same in all countries, of course. I think in Europe it's in May, and in Canada it's a few days later than here in the United States. But nevertheless, I think people appreciate being appreciated. Isn't that what Labor Day is all about? But I'm not just gonna talk about Labor Day. There's a whole bunch of things I wanna get into, but first, If you're digging the Dharmic Evolution, and I know you are, please go over to our website, dharmicevolution.com, and sign up on your favorite platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Overcast is a really hot one uh, that people seem to really enjoy. You'll, You'll really dig all the features that are on that platform. I really like that one myself. But um, we've got, we're on 21 destinations now, so we're the most ubiquitous show in the Music City, I believe, uh, stretching out, and our friends over in India uh, on the Ghana platform. Thanks so much again for your support and for really supporting the Dharmic Evolution. Really appreciate that so much. So um, we're going to get into a bunch of things about not just the pandemic, but our reactions to it, how our behavior has changed. Going to talk about family, music, artistry, getting through it, it's all really good things here on the Dharmic Evolution. can't resist I just uh, I just love the sound of trains and that speaks labor 
That speaks industry. That speaks to the very core of building something, which we all do, no matter what we do um, in this day and age. But um, take, for example, the United States, because I know that country a little better than I know the other countries of the world. Um, trains were the backbone of ingenuity, um, just creativity, how we could move massive amounts of people from coast to coast. And we could do that in days. And back then, that was like unheard of. Like, really? You could move all this across the country? So really, really fascinating um, the way we continue to build. No matter what happens in this world, we continue to move ahead. And I want to talk just a little bit about Labor Day and what it is and what it was meant for, what it was designed to be. And then I want to get into some things about how does this affect you and your life? Um, and what are you doing to, um, to mitigate the problems that you've run into, um, to offset the challenges, and to recover um, your resources, um, your creative resources, in a way to deal with this? So summer's final fling has arrived in the form of Labor Day in a few days, of course. And most of us get the day off. But this holiday triggers mixed emotions. While summer still has 21 calendar days left, it's time to get serious. School starting and then there's a sense that summer vacation is over for m not everybody though, right? A lot of people are not able to go to school, so that's a challenge. So what's behind Labor Day and how did it earn a place as a federal holiday? So let's take, take a look at this. And this is coming from the National Today blog, I guess it is. I was just surfing a bit, and I thought this would be really cool to open the show with. So what's the meaning of Labor Day? Do you get your weekends off work, lunch breaks, paid vacation, eight-hour day, Social Security? If you said yes to any of these questions, you can thank labor unions and the U.S. labor movement for it. Years of hard-fought battles and the ensuing legislation they inspired resulted in many of the most basic benefits we enjoy at our jobs today. On the first Monday in September, we take the day off to celebrate Labor Day and reflect on the American workers' contributions to our country. When is Labor Day? Labor Day always falls on the first Monday in September, which means anywhere from September 1st through September 7th. This year, it's September 7th in the U.S. and Canada, where it's known as Labor Day, with a, they spell it with a U, L-A-B-O-U-R. However, this is not the case for most countries, the majority of which celebrate on May 1st. I sound like I'm a labor union um, executive or something, <laughs> and uh, I'm not. I'm, you know, I kind of like, uh, I know the, the unions have had their place in the past. I don't think they are as strong as they used to be. And I don't think there's quite a need for them all the time. And I'm saying that with the benefit of hindsight being an electrical union contractor in a past life. So I know a little bit about this. So like anything else, there's good and bad everything. But I think the design of it was uh, a very, very good idea. It was meant to help mostly those people in the sweatshops that, you know, lock them up and make them wait, you know, work like ridiculous, you know, 15 hour days with no breaks and all that. So, uh, treating people with dignity and respect and fair wage 
was a um, a great idea that the labor unions helped spearhead. So you have to give thanks for that, especially and and other things too. So uh, Labor Day history: there's disagreement over how the holiday began. One version is set in September 1882 with the Knights of Labor, the largest and one of the most impo- important American labor organizations at the time. The Knights in New York City held a public parade featuring various labor organizations on September 5th, and that's Knights with a K, with the aid of the fledgling Central Labor Union of New York. Subsequently, CLU Secretary Matthew McGuire proposed that a National Labor Day holiday be held on the first Monday of each September to mark this successful public demonstration. In another version, Labor Day in September was proposed by Peter J. McGuire, a vice president of the American Federation of Labor. In spring 1882, McGuire reportedly proposed a general holiday for the laboring classes to the CLU, which would begin with a street parade of organized labor, solidarity, and end with a picnic fundraiser for local unions. McGuire suggested the first Monday in September as an ideal date for the Labor Day because the weather is great at that time of year and it falls between July 4th and Thanksgiving. Oregon became the first U.S. state to make it an official public holiday. Twenty-nine other states had joined by the time the federal government declared it a federal holiday in 1894. Maguire or Maguire? Read more on this unusual coincidence in our FAQs below. So the two Maguires came up with this. Two different name spellings, two different people. Um, and the parade thing is still happening to this day, right? How many Labor Day parades do you know about? Hey, what is the Haymarket affair? On May 4th, 1886, at a time when most American laborers worked 18 or even 20 hours a day, tens of thousands of workers protested in cities all across the U.S. to demand an eight-hour workday. Police in Chicago attacked both those peaceful protests and a workers' planning meeting two days later, randomly beating and shooting at the planning group and killing six. When outraged Chicagoans attended an initially peaceful protest the next evening in Haymarket Square, police advanced on the crowd again. Someone who was never identified exploded a bomb that killed a police officer, leading cops to open fire on protesters and provoke violence that led to deaths of about a dozen dozen workers and police. The Pullman Strike Ironically, Chicago was also the setting for the bloody Pullman Strike of 1894, which catalyzed the establishment of a Labor Day holiday in the U.S. on the first Monday of September. Isn't it something that Chicago is always in the center of it all, right? Uh, We're having some things going on with Chicago like this particular time in 2020 as well. Anyway, the strike happened in May in the company town of Pullman, Chicago, a factory location established by luxury railroad car manufacturer, the Pullman Company. The inequality of the town was more than apparent. Company owner George Pullman lived in a mansion while most laborers stayed in barrack-style dormitories. When a nationwide depression struck in 1893, Pullman decided to cut costs the way a lot of executives at the time did, by lowering wages by almost 30% while he kept rent on the dormitories he leased to his workers at pre-depression levels. Isn't that a lot like stealing? I mean, come on. The guy's in a mansion, 
And, you know, he lowers their wages and leaves the rent the same that he's renting. It's just, it's pretty awful, isn't it? Railroad boycott. These conditions ultimately led workers to strike on May 11th, 1894. The walkout gained the support of the Nationwide American Railroad Union, which declared that the ARU members would no longer work on trains that included Pullman cars. That national boycott would end up bringing the railroads west of Chicago to a standstill and led to 125,000 workers across 29 railroad companies to quit their jobs rather than break the boycott. When the Chicago railroad companies hired strikebreakers as replacements, strikers also took various actions to stop the trains. The General Managers Association, which represented local railroad companies, countered by including U.S. Attorney General Richard Olney, a former railroad attorney, to intervene. Indianapolis federal, federal courts granted only an injunction against the strike, a move that allowed President Grover Cleveland to send in federal troops to break it up. A few days later, Cleveland realized that he had to act quickly to appease the country's increasingly agitated labor movement. But he didn't want to commemorate the Haymarket incident with a May holiday that would invoke radical worker sentiment. So Cleveland hearkened back to the first established September 1882 holiday and signed into law that Labor Day in the U.S. would be celebrated on the first Monday in September. Okay, so now we get to Labor Day versus May Day. <laughs> I like that, May Day. It could be a heyday, who knows? So communist and social factions worldwide eventually chose May 1st as the date to mark the Haymarket Affair. A 1904 conference issued a plea that trade unions stage rallies on the first day of May, demanding to make the eight-hour workday standard. They organized the action in the name of universal peace. The 1st of May is a national public holiday in many countries across the world, generally known as Labor Day. International Workers' Day, or some similar name, although some countries celebrate a Labor Day on other dates significant to them, such as Canada, which celebrates Labor Day like the U.S. on the first Monday of September. Here's the U.S. Labor, here's the U.S. Department of Labor's official tribute to U.S. workers on Labor Day. The vital force of labor added materially to the highest standard of living and the greatest production the world has ever known and has brought us closer to the realization of our traditional ideals of economic and political democracy. It is appropriate, therefore, that the nation pays tribute on Labor Day to the creator of so much of the nation's strength, freedom, and leadership, the American worker. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I couldn't have done it without me. I tried to sound very presidential in that. So that kind of wraps up what Labor Day is all about. Just got a few little uh, news stories that kind of uh, fit into what's happening like more currently, like top Labor Day quotes for your social feeds, if you will. Can you guess which president said, my father taught me to work. He did not teach me to love it. No, it's not that president. How about the famous American who uttered, all labor that uplifts humanity has dignity. We have a list of Labor Day quotes to not only learn about the holiday, but to also impress your friends during the barbecue. Why not wearing white became a fashion rule after May Day? Perhaps the most popular 
An unwritten fashion code of the Labor Day is ditching white wardrobe pieces after the first Monday in September. This is common knowledge, even if many people don't follow it. That, like myself, I don't follow that at all. If it's still warm out, I'm wearing white, baby. Here's where that custom originated from. Let's see. Uh, fire yourself from your own job. That's correct. The makers of Stoke Cold Brew Coffees have designed a contest running through Labor Day, which will give three people $30,000 each in order to take a four-week sabbatical, or they call it Stoke-batical, from their dreary day jobs and make their dreams happen. It can be anything from rock climbing in Patagonia to setting records for a number of tapas eaten in Spain. No matter what, Stoke will help fund it, unless, of course, you prefer to spend the next four hours or four weeks filling out TPS reports, and, and I don't know what that is. Uh, another topic here is Mulan is making its way to Disney Plus on Labor Day weekend. And I guess this is that uh, Oriental movie that's uh, so hot. The live-action remake of Mulan has been 10 years in the making, but it will finally grace your screens via Disney Plus during Labor Day weekend. Existing Disney Plus members can pay a one-off fee of $30 to access the movie. And then it says, watch the trailer here. So I sound like I'm on the pitch for, for all these things, but I'm not. I'm just reading this blog here. Um, wrapping it up, whether in the form of a leisurely barbecue, a relaxing swim in the pool, watching a film in a drive-in cinema, or just relaxing at home with family, there are so many different ways to mark the occasions. And they've, they've listed all these things on the blog. You can get all those uh, details off of the links if you if you tune into this, uh, check out this blog. National Today it is. But let's circle back to some of the things they, they hit on. So um, how about we start with family and what the pandemic has done to your family? Has it brought it closer together? Has it um, challenged people. Um, I have this informal um, sort of survey that I do. And I do it like if I'm in conversation with somebody, I just ask them, hey, how's it going with being at home alone? Or not home alone, but home working? Uh, are you working from home? Uh, the rest of your family? Are you guys all at home? How, do you like it? Do you not like it? And I'm kind of 50-50 so far because many people love it. Um, I myself, I have my own thing going on, so I, it's it's not very different for me. But some people are of the mind that I love this. This is absolutely great. I can kind of go anywhere I want to go, and I can work remote from my laptop, which I can do that. I love that freedom. But many people have said, wait a minute, we're all home. I've got my wife, myself, the dogs, the kids. Everybody's on a laptop everywhere. The internet's blowing up. We can't get enough bandwidth. We're at each other's throats. It's like we can't get away from each other. So I, I kind of get that. But that's not really what I was going after here. What I was going after is, um, has this um, opened your eyes to a new and a improved and beneficial um, kind of appreciation for your family. Um, no matter what age you, your kids are, um, your grandkids, whatever situation you're in, has this in some ways made you appreciate what you have in your life more so than in the past? 
And the reason I say that is because now we've started to develop habits that are, you know, counterintuitive to what we've been used to. We're used to, like I used to be like, okay, I go and I do my yoga three, four times a week and I go to the gym and I always like that and get a couple hour workout in. And it's, it's sort of social too. You start running into the same people over and over and you develop these sort of friendships. Now I don't have that anymore. So in March for me personally, I started uh, running and now I'm a runner. Now I run three or four times a week. I'm up to about between four and five miles, I guess. So that supplemented the yoga thing for me. But I find that um, people have to change their behaviors out of necessity first, but then maybe preference later because you develop new habits. So back to the family thing, have you had a chance to have dialogue with, let's say, your brothers and sisters or your children where you did not have that opportunity in the past because you just get into these routines, right? And you don't break the routine usually. It's just like, this is what I do, man. I get up, I get coffee, and then I get out the door, and I'm in the car, and then I got the drive time to the job, and then back, and then, you know, come and have dinner, and the kids go off and do their thing, and I don't really see them, and then and then go to bed and rinse and repeat, baby, five days a week. So wait, rinse and repeat. Five days a week. Up, oh, write that one down. Another song coming. Titles are flowing, baby. Oh, I love that. Gotta, gotta get a new song going. So again, family is so, so important. And I think we don't treasure the benefit of it unless we get in trouble. And then we start to realize. And oftentimes, sadly, it's a death in a family. And it brings us to our vulnerability place. It brings us to a place where we say, man, I just, I just never took the time to you know, make time with this person enough or I just didn't pick up the phone or you know, I missed out. And I think we're all guilty of this. Um, we don't really embrace the God-given gift of family in a way that is um, appropriate or you know, something we should share, share more with each other. We should do more of that. So it's just something I, I want to bring to your attention that, again, this, this 2020 vision, uh, a pandemic lesson I'm calling this, is more about what can we learn from what we're going through? Let's just not write it off as like, okay, it's pretty bad, but what are we taking away that is valuable? And I feel that family is, is right up there at the top. I mean, labor is great. You know, we, we love the fact we honor the, the people who built this country and who continue to build this country and all the other people with um, new jobs now. Maybe we don't, um, you know, it's not work, you know, you know, sledgehammer. It's not a factory. Um, I spent years with the tools on my belt as an electrician, electrical contractor, then a telecommunications contractor, and I built things. You know, I, I, I pulled the wires, I made the connections, I wired things and, and built uh, businesses using uh, the skills that I, that I developed um, along the way to become a master electrician. Now I'm a master storyteller. So what else? What else can we do? How about music? And this speaks to my wonderful um, 
uh, singer-songwriters out there who have been on the Dharmic Evolution who are about to come on and have an interview with me, um, this is a perfect time for you to work on your music and develop those um, songs, develop the album, develop the th- you know whatever your craft is. Are you a piano player? You guitarist? You a vocalist? Maybe you're a violinist? Um, this is a really good time to reassess um, what you've been doing. And I, I have many friends who have reassessed themselves not to do music. And music sort of as a sidecar to something else they're doing. But it, it is an, it's a chance for you to kind of look at things in a more granular way and say, you know, am I still committed to this? And if so, just keep going because you will find a way to get your artistry out there. We will get through this. There will be concerts again. There will be performances. And there will be people very hungry for music. It's just in our blood. It's one of the most beautiful gifts that the Lord gave us. Um, Right up there with, right behind, I should say, uh, love, um, family, and right underneath that, I believe, music and artistry comes, you know, with that. So how are you getting through it? Let's talk about that. Getting through um, this time. What do you do to get through your days? So I already talked about physical fitness being one thing that's really, really valuable. Um, I think uh, I should mention my depression manual for people that never heard about this before. Uh, I guess about, I guess a year ago or so, I wrote a depression manual. It's very short, but it's, um, it's very valuable. And I'm putting the link in the show notes. If you would like it, you can download it for free. Um, I'm not going to do that too much longer, um, but it'll be open for this show that you can, you can send it to somebody who you think really needs it, who's really depressed. And it has a lot of valuable tips in it. And one of them talks about physical fitness and how that changes your mindset. Like once you do something physical, you get out of that mental funk. So I don't, you know, even the warm up can be just go for a walk, man, just go for a walk and get started. And some of these days that I, I used to go to, when I used to work out in the yoga studio, it would be like, oh, man, I got to go down. I don't really feel like going today. Although I love doing it. And they used to say, hardest part is showing up. And it's true. Just get in the room. And that that's, you know, the rest of it, you know, the energy will just carry you through because everybody else is working out. But for me now, the running is the same way. It's just, just get into it. Just show up. Get your, get your running shoes on. Get out there. Put your little timer on your belt and just go, man. And once you start, it's like, all right, man, listen, an hour later, I just did, you know, four and a half miles or whatever. Um, Someone else told me what they're doing, and this is my sister, Colleen. She said she's been having virtual happy hour with her friends, (laughs) which is kind of cool. It's like, all right, listen, we can't meet physically because it's just too challenging, especially, I guess, if you're up in New Jersey. So let us uh, meet via... um, Skype or Zoom or whatever, and get on, and let's just have a happy hour all together, and we'll do it virtually. So that's a cool way to do things, and uh, I really appreciated that when I heard that about that. So um, another thing that you can do, and this one comes from experience, um, and it's also, there's a section in my depression manual uh, about this, and it's service to others. It's like when you do something for someone else, 
man, you forget all about what you were worried about, like immediately. And it is so, um, it's so beneficial. I go to like missions uh, pretty often and I'll bring dessert or I'll serve breakfast or whatever. Um, I also started a prison ministry back in October uh, of last year. And then we got kind of sidetracked with the uh, the pandemic and everything. I wanted to broaden the scope of that. And what I do is it's, it's kind of, it's sort of uh, a little bit selfish on my part because I get to play music <laughs> when I do these things. And I'll go into a prison where... You know, the, the people who are incarcerated there do not have the luxury of anything but, you know, meals and a, and a cot to sleep on. So um, they're, not, they're not destitute. They're not without um, shelter or anything like that, but they're, they're without their freedom. So I wanted to, you know, the Lord kind of put this in my heart a long time ago, and I just started to take action on it. But the point I'm bringing to you is that when you do service for others, like, you know, just doesn't have to be a big thing. Um, you can help somebody who's standing on a corner with a sign, you know, with a couple of dollars maybe, or just a bottle of water, or just a good morning, cup of coffee, something um, that will help you to feel like you made a difference in somebody's life, even though even if it's just for a short term, it helps them get through that moment of frustration. So I learned a lot from going in and, and playing music for these prisoners. I mean, I was standing right in front of these guys um, when I was. There was women and men, but they had separated them. Um, and I remember, man, there was a bunch of tough dudes just like not being down with what I was doing because I was telling stories and it was kind of uh, spiritual uh, music that was connected in some way to um, either the Lord or some facet of a relationship with the Lord. And these guys were like giving me a hard time. They were talking, you know, in between, you know, the songs and like trying not to pay attention and uh, then I got the whole back row of these dudes to start. They all started singing along with one of the tunes I had. And it was an original song. They'd never heard it before. But it was so amazing to hear and see their response. Uh, it just, I, I can't even describe that by the end of the show, which was only like maybe 90 minutes, uh, the guys in the front were, had become fans. And they all came up to me, shook my hand, and, you know, they were all in for various things, you know, whether it's drugs or or some really more severe crimes. Um, but I left there feeling like, you know, I had finally validated a reason why I, why I was a musician. It wasn't self-serving at all. It was more like, you know, I'm reaching out, and it just made me feel so like I was of service and value. I had value. Um, and I was able to share that value with these people. And hopefully one or two of them took what I professed that day and maybe put it away for another day or maybe acted on it a little more sooner than later. But they had some kind of influence from what I did in those particular um, visits. So I, I would just say to you that if there's anything that you can do to really help yourself that, that you're in this kind of funk that you just need to break out of it. You're feeling very, very depressed and lost. I already gave you my depression manual. You got that? Um, 
and doing something for others is the best way to do it. And I'm just going to leave you to wrap this up with uh, something that the Apostle Paul wrote. And, you know, here's a guy, if you thought you had problems, oh, man, um, the things he went through are are unbelievable. Um, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's from uh, 2 Corinthians 11.24. And I'll just break into the, the end piece there um, here of what he's talking about. And, you know, he suffered a lot because of his um, affiliation with the Lord Jesus and, and his, um, you know, his tenacious um, loyalty to the Lord. So he writes, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Ariatus had the city of Damascus guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. So if you thought you had problems, <laughs> you know, this guy did not have a cushy life whatsoever. And I thought of one more thing that um, the Lord put in my heart, like many times, even with this show, um, with the Dharmic Evolution, many times I've thought of just throwing in the towel on this. So much work. Oh my goodness, I got deadlines, this and that. But it just takes like one comment. And I found all these comments that I hadn't seen for a long time of people who have written in about the show and how they felt like they really enjoyed the content we put up here week after week, five years now, 280 some odd shows. And, um, it, the, the lesson that the Lord taught me was one word, persevere, persevere. If you think deep down in your heart that you're doing something that has value and that you can, you continue even after you go through the rough times and the depressing days and the frustrations that you're still committed to in your heart, what you're doing is correct. Have perseverance. Okay. Don't give up. Just keep on going. Um, what did Edison do? It was, uh, they said, well, he had, uh, 999 failures cause it took him a thousand times, a thousand experiments to finally figure out the electric light. And he said, those were not failures. Those are, um, just a succession of successes because it took that many, what you would call failures. That was just a connection to get to the end result. 
And you have to go through that. And you and I both know we go through these things where we get so frustrated and we get so angry. We, we probably use some words we shouldn't use and yell and scream. And then, you know, I'm the type that I'll go through that and I'll set it aside and I'll come back 24 hours later and I, I'm, I'm good again. I'm good. It's like, okay, let's pick things up. I had my tantrum. I'm done with it. Enough wasting time. Let's just get to it. So stay connected to what you are supposed to be connected with. So that's it for me. I'm your host for the Dharmic Evolution. So until the next time, when we meet again, I'll either see you on the socials, I'll see you from the stage, but in the meantime, let's all stay connected. I was connected. Everybody knew my name. Wise guy.